This, 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 this is K-U-T. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. I'm Claire McInerney from KUT. And for more than a year, I've been digging into a story about the realities of Austin's schools. Black and Latino students aren't doing as well as their white peers, even though white students are less than a third of the population. This is called an achievement gap, and it's something people in the education world have been talking about for decades. And everybody wants to close the gap. Matter of fact, for 20 years, I've been hearing about closing that gap. Billions of dollars have been spent trying to solve this problem. Researchers have done study after study. But decades later, the problem still exists. Here's what this gap looks like in AISD. Last year, less than a third of Black students and around 40% of Latino students passed state reading exams. That's compared to nearly 80% of white and Asian students in the district. That's a gap of around 40 percentage points. This gap can also indicate holes in a kid's education. We've had children that come in that don't know their whole alphabet in fifth grade. Over the next half hour, we'll learn about the struggle educators face in addressing this gap and why it remains a persistent problem. It's not realistic. There's just so many different challenges for children, period. Today, I don't believe we'll ever be able to close the gap. But AISD officials have made it a priority to get all kids in the district to do better. Uh, there are going to be some um, negotiables, uh, and then there are some non-negotiables. And most importantly, we'll learn how someone actually fixed this problem before, to great controversy. So even though it was obviously working, the district didn't want to admit that this worked. They didn't want to admit that what we did was working better than what they were doing. This is a story about equity versus inequity, about test scores versus creativity. It's more than a story about how Austin's schools have the same problems as many other school districts. It's a story about what we value in education and what we're willing to do to honor those values. This is Held Back, why Austin schools aren't working for students of color. Part one, the problem. To see what this problem looks like for students, let's start at Overton Elementary School. It's in the middle of a neighborhood in Northeast Austin. It's unique compared to other elementary schools because it's in the middle of a park, so it's surrounded by green space. It's named after Volma Overton, who is best known for his work to legally desegregate schools in Austin in the 1970s. Today, Overton is almost all Latino and Black students, and virtually all come from low-income homes. Pencil challenge! I have my first pencil! Last April, Savannah Wilson stood in the middle of her fourth-grade classroom. She wears glasses, a pearl necklace, a long ponytail down her back. She's short. Some of her students are taller than her. But she can command her classroom. As her students get up from sitting around the carpet, she quickly redirects them into their class song as they transition to the next activity. The students split into small groups for a language arts block. The kids will be taking the STAR test soon, the state assessment for all public school students in Texas. In one of those small groups, the activity is something students will be asked to do on that test, read a passage, and answer questions about it. One of her students is supposed to read some questions off a worksheet to the group to help them reflect on the story they just read. But she's struggling to formulate a sentence. How did Nathan and Alex get 
This is one example of the problem I'm talking about. Kids start to learn to read as early as pre-K. By fourth grade, they should have had at least four years of learning their letters. L L Y. Sounding words out. He could roll to the other side. And memorizing tricky letter patterns. In fourth and fifth grade, teachers want students to read so they can answer more complicated questions about the characters and plot. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley. They read to learn about history and science. In the new moon phase, none of the part of the moon... But if they haven't mastered the basics, they can't do any of this more advanced stuff. It's like asking someone to run a marathon when they've never run a mile. Teacher Savannah Wilson says teaching her students isn't her only job. Sometimes she has to worry about their basic needs. Like I have a few that, you know, they're technically homeless, so they may not have food or breakfast. Another challenge is kids moving in and out of classrooms a lot, which disrupts their education. And then there's this. Ken Zarefis is the head of the teachers union for Austin ISD. He says the achievement gap is built on the backbone of race and class issues. It has to be about how our country addresses supporting poverty, how our country addresses race, because this is a race issue. This is about institutional racism that says we're okay, for the most part, with the status quo. He says this is an issue legislators and others need to work on, too, making sure low-income families have food and housing and other things that help a kid focus in school. Wilson, the fourth grade teacher at Overton, says there's so much out of her hands. She gets discouraged by the pressure to help her students catch up. But as far as, you know, the gap is just, I just don't know what they expect us to do. And it's, it is rough on the teachers. They expect us to be superheroes. She says every year she focuses on getting her students to improve from wherever they are. But when it comes to the test, she isn't sure a teacher can completely catch every student up if they're behind. I don't think that everyone is capable of doing that. It's not realistic. Like we said, there's just so many different challenges for children, period, today. I don't believe we'll ever be able to close the gap. And she's not being pessimistic. If students don't learn to read by third grade, research shows it's much harder to catch up. So this work has to happen in elementary school. A few years ago, this need to focus on reading led one principal to come up with a way to improve reading scores. And it worked. Part two, a solution? Graham Elementary in Northeast Austin looks a lot like Overton. It has a large Latino student population, and more than half of the students come from low-income families. Many are learning English. And these are some of the major factors that contribute to low test scores. Before 2007, Graham had the same issues as many other schools with similar demographics. Many students were not doing well on those state tests. Before 2007, the passing rate for the state reading test at Graham fluctuated between 76% and 86%. That changed when a guy named Blaine Helwig became principal in 2007. Gloria Reyes was a reading specialist at the school. She said Helwig's arrival brought a different feel to Graham. She called the old principal touchy-feely and said their professional development sessions in the summer often included team building. Blaine was like, you know, I'm not into that, I'm into the kids. So you're just going to get something different. So this is what we, where we are, 
This is where we need to be. These are the plans to get there. And he definitely had a plan scheduled out. So what was that plan? Helwig wanted better test scores. To get better test scores, the students needed to be better readers. Knowing that many of the students weren't on grade level, he had to figure out a way to close these gaps in their reading skills. What he came up with is something he called the new three R's. Right systems, right resources, right people. The first thing we do is we try to fill in gaps one-on-one. The teacher pulls them aside and works with them individually, uses the the thousand words. The 1,000 words. This was one of the things Helwig used to help his students improve their reading skills. It's a list he made of what he calls the most common words in the English language. The list is divided up into groups of 100. The first 100 words are easy, words like a, an, the, and gets increasingly harder as a student moves through the list. The list helps students learn to read, spell, and recognize common words. Another part of the plan, novel studies. We did novel studies with our children for 45 minutes a day. At other schools, it's common for teachers to use short passages when teaching students to read. At Graham, they used entire novels, ones that the students wanted to read. Even if the book was too hard for a child, teachers say it helped push struggling readers because they wanted to follow the story. Lastly, and most importantly, was the intensity of how these tactics were rolled out. Reyes said a student's progress on mastering the 1,000 words was monitored really closely by teachers and Helwig. We had to turn in scores on a weekly basis. We had a graph that showed where the children were with their 1,000 words, where they were with their math progress. So there was constant having to turn in data and then review of that data. By tracking how a student was doing day by day, they could catch it sooner if a student started to fall behind. Reading was also a cornerstone of the school's culture. Students were expected to read in the mornings before class started. One staff member said Helwig made sure the library was constantly getting new books the kids were interested in. Teachers who worked at Graham during this time said it was intense, but worth it because the students started improving. All of this was a major shift for day-to-day operations. Expectations for both students and teachers were much higher. Reyes said after Helwig made it clear every teacher had to participate, some teachers left. But others liked the changes. Some parents did too, like Pete Vallejo. He sent his daughter to Graham when she came to live with him full-time when she was in fourth grade. She was behind for whatever reason with her mom, and uh, she got here. They figured out where she needed help at, what they needed to focus on, and that's what they did. And they also helped me accountable with helping her out at home. You know, it just wasn't at school because it had to be done at home also. Vallejo said Helwig would call him personally to give him updates on what teachers were working on with her and when they felt she was falling behind. He said when springtime came, they weren't sure if she'd passed the star. He worried if she failed, she'd have to retake the test in the summer. After she took the test, Vallejo heard from Helwig. He called me, said, I got some good news for you. I went to the school, pulled me in the office, and he said when she passed, he gave me a hug. I, mean, I actually cried because it, it was an emotional moment because it was, it was just a difficult time for me, a big old guy like I am, you know. I don't show much emotion very much, and I broke down that day in his office. Vallejo's daughter wasn't the only one to improve dramatically in a short amount of time. The year before Helwig started, 82% of students passed their reading test. 
His first year at the school, they saw scores tick up a little. But by the second year, 96% of students were passing. In just two years, his school of Black and Latino students, of English learners, of kids from poor families, got test scores that mirrored those of affluent schools. And this continued. In district data I obtained, kids who went to Graham continued to do much better on state standardized tests compared to students from other low-income schools. When Helwig saw that his strategies were working, he started sharing them with other administrators. He sent out this blanket email to administrators across the central Texas area just randomly with stuff. So when I was looking at this, I was like, sends out free stuff like this. Who does that? Maliki Hawkins is the principal at Lagos Elementary in Maynor ISD. A few years ago, she was the principal at Maynor Elementary. When she got Helwig's email, she was trying to find a way to boost her school's mediocre scores. Her school's demographics looked very similar to Graham's, and she was impressed with Helwig's success. She liked that the program was easy to implement, and she liked the 1,000 words because she knows how important vocabulary is. If students don't understand vocabulary or have a good understanding of vocabulary and how that builds comprehension, it's going to be a battle by the time they get to fifth grade because they never, and they never did learn some basic key elements of reading. Hawkins ended up adopting Helwig's techniques when she was at Maynard Elementary and brought them with her to Lagos. One of the people in charge of running this program at Lagos is Pamela Gray, a reading specialist who has used the program since it started at Maynard Elementary. Gray's been in education for 40 years. She has a spiky pixie cut, dyed red, and an accent that gives away her upbringing in Odessa Midland. Oh, you got my Texas twang and all. I love it. Um, when I meet her at the beginning of the school year, she's heading up to the fourth grade hallway to pull some students out of class and test them on the 1,000 words. Here's how the 1,000-word challenge works. It starts in pre-K, where students are introduced to these words. In kindergarten, kids are expected to know how to read, spell, and understand the meaning of the first 100. In first grade, it's the first 600. From each grade after, they are expected to master all 1,000. All right, pointing at there, put your pencils down. Gray walks into Megan Severino's fourth grade classroom, where the kids are pulling out their words folder. As a class, they read this week's words. Two, three. After they get through the group of 25 words they are focused on for this week, Saverino circles back to review some of the words. She wants to make sure the students know the differences between some homophones. You know, words that sound the same but have different meanings. Who would like to help out Zaria? There, T-H-E-I-R. She administers a spelling test on these words. Then they move on from the words and on to their language arts lesson for the day. This is when Gray pulls out a few students to test them on the 1,000 words. Testing is a huge part of the reading program Helwig created. Teachers can't just go over vocabulary words in class and give spelling tests. Every kid has to prove they are mastering the words. Gray takes fourth grader Camila into the hallway to test her. The two sit at a table. Gray opens up her folder, pulls out a piece of paper with the first 100 words, and sets a timer for less than two minutes. Camilla begins reading. She passes the first 100 words easily, gets through the second and third with no problem. She's been practicing and wants to master the 1,000-word challenge early in the school year. Do you know you're on your 10th 
list. Mm -hmm. That means your last hundred words. It is? Yes. Can there be more? When you finish this, it'll be a thousand. Yes. She reads all of the words in her time frame. She's mastered the challenge. Camila and Gray go knock on the classroom door to tell her homeroom teacher. She just finished all 1,000 words. We got it That's on tape. And she's going down to the library to put her spark on the 1,000. All right. <laughs> I'm really proud of you. She's the first fourth grader to master all 1,000 words this school year. Camila gets to go put her paper Spartan, the school mascot, on a window in the library to prove it. If she hadn't passed, Gray and her classroom teacher would have her do this test every week until she got closer to passing it. Hawkins, the principal at Lagos who brought this program to the school, says she appreciates the consistency of Helwig's program. Every teacher at every grade level is using the same strategies. Versus having um, pockets of greatness, as I would call it, where you have this amazing teacher in this one grade level, but then in the other grade levels, you have teachers that are struggling. You don't have that common language. You don't have a consistency in how instruction is is delivered. Pamela Gray likes that it's easy for any educator to start doing in the classroom. She sees how a first-year teacher and a veteran teacher of 20 years can both implement these strategies and see their kids' reading improve. She says more schools should be using this program. I think Austin is ridiculous for not using it in all their schools. And I regret that Blaine didn't get the credit he deserved because this is amazing. In Austin ISD, this reading program and Blaine Helwig are extremely controversial. More on that when we come back. This is Held Back. I'm Claire McInerney from KUT. We've been talking about how Black and Latino students in Austin ISD aren't doing as well as their white and Asian peers. We heard about some of the factors that contribute to that gap, and we heard about one AISD principal who developed strategies to close that gap. But there was a problem. Part three, the conflict. For almost a decade, Graham Elementary used this new 3R system. Test scores stayed high. Blaine Helwig, the principal who developed this strategy, won an award from the U.S. Department of Education for this work. A handful of other schools in AISD tried replicating this plan at some point, but Graham was the only place that made it the most important part of its curriculum for so long. One reason, according to Gloria Reyes, a Graham reading specialist at the time. Blaine was completely disliked. Reyes was the only person willing to speak with me on the record. She retired last year. I talked to eight other educators who worked with Helwig during this time. None wanted to speak on tape for fear of losing their jobs. I communicated with Helwig himself for months about all of this. But in the end, he wouldn't do a recorded interview with me. He retired in 2016, so I couldn't see him using these strategies firsthand. One thing I learned about him, though, that's important to understand what he was like as a principal, is that he's methodical. You can hear it in this video produced by the Department of Education when he won that national award. When I approach a child and I talk to them, I'm with them 30 seconds to 45 seconds maximum. I hit a lot of frequent 30 to 45 seconds day in and day out, and I try to find out pieces about their lives and what they're doing so that when I see them in the morning, I have something to talk to them about, and I slowly build that relationship up. Before he came into education, Helwig was a structural engineer designing bridges. He also has a degree in accounting. So he's a numbers guy. 
Reyes said he focused on what his data was telling him was working, not what the district told him. And I have to say part of it is that Blaine is is the type of a personality of, I'm going to do what's right, and I don't care what you tell me. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He doesn't play the game. And he created a lot of enemies that way. This is how intense the pushback was. Last May, some text messages from then-school board president Kendall Pace were made public. In these texts to another board member, she expressed frustration about the achievement gap and what she saw as the district's lack of effort to close it. She said they should be using Helwig's methods at some of its low-performing schools. She also insulted groups that provide social services at schools, calling them a sham. She called other people poverty pimps. It was a mess. People were outraged. The local teachers' union held a press conference calling for her to step down. The text came out on a Wednesday. The following Monday, Pace resigned. That very night was the regularly scheduled board meeting. The boardroom in AISD's headquarters was full that night. The meeting started as it usually does, with elementary students saying the Pledge of Allegiance and the Texas Pledge. Behind them were rows of people waiting to testify. The board will now move to public comment. Pace's former seat in the center of the dais was empty, her name card already removed. The board's then-vice president, Jeronimo Rodriguez, was leading the meeting instead. Half of the people who signed up for public comment that night were there to voice their outrage at Pace's support of Helwig's strategies. You heard one phrase over and over, drilling and killing. The drill and kill instruction and inappropriate discipline methods of the new three R's. Easy to implement program that emphasize rote memorization and drill and kill worksheets. Drill and kill policies being pushed that are antithetical to creative learning. These were all speakers during public comment of that May board meeting. Deborah Trejo, an AISD parent, expressed her anger to the board about Pace's praise for Helwig. Who are not literacy experts, but have paternalistically decided that at the most economically disadvantaged schools, the only thing that matters is short-term star results. And students should be fed a grueling diet of daily test prep and weekly practice tests. A common theme people brought up to the board was when schools focus on passing a test, you take away other opportunities from the child. This is testimony from Rocio Villalobos, an AISD graduate. Children's spirit, imagination, creativity, their ability to dream, the things that make them human and provide meaning, are stifled and sacrificed in the name of the god of testing. The same is true for teachers and their imagination and creativity. This gets to the root of many criticisms of the culture at Graham and other schools that used Blaine Helwig's strategies. Many people in education think schools are too focused on getting kids prepared for state tests. Some speakers ask the board to stop practices like the 1,000 Word Challenge and instead focus on more creative ways of teaching, things like project-based learning. That's a style of teaching where students work on a project that can incorporate multiple subjects. It's supposed to teach them how what they learn applies to the real world. The focus is more on this project than test prep. This brings us to another major criticism of Helwig and his new three R's. A number of schools, Graham being one of them, have a significant number of students who come into the school not knowing English. Graham was supposed to focus on both English and Spanish to help its English learners transition. But instead, to get kids reading on grade level, Helwig decided to only focus on reading in English. A good majority of these children do not have a strong Spanish vocabulary. Um, cannot speak in complete sentences in their native language. 
Gloria Reyes, the former Graham reading specialist. When, when you see that disparity, we felt that it was better to go ahead and strengthen their English language. Reyes is a native English speaker. Her husband is Venezuelan and a native Spanish speaker. They raised their son speaking both English and Spanish. She gets how beneficial speaking two languages is. But at the same time, she says it's difficult to implement a strong dual language program amidst the other demands schools face. The reason they have to learn in English is because when they leave elementary school, everything is in English. And they're heavily textbook-oriented once you get to middle and high school. They have to be able to read them, and if they cannot read in English, they do drop out. That is not the right way to look at children. This is Deborah Trejo again, a parent who spoke during public comment at the board meeting. She also serves on multiple advisory boards for dual language issues in AISD. She told me abandoning dual language is harmful to kids. You say to them, I need to erase you. I need to erase your connection to your home, to your family, to the every all the language you know is not worth anything. So she says Helwig found academic success at the cost of a student's home language. To recap, there are two main criticisms of Helwig's reading program, that it overtests with drill and kill and deserts dual language learning. I wanted to ask AISD staff what they thought of all this. So in December, I sat down with Superintendent Paul Cruz and two of his associate superintendents. I started by asking about this reality that Black and Latino kids are falling behind. Cruz recognizes it's an issue. We have achievement gaps. We see it in our data. Uh, We have uh, parents, community members uh, talking to us about that achievement gap. That data he references are scores from the STAR test, the big state assessment. It's the only measure we have of all schools across the state that shows what the achievement gap looks like. But in the same interview, Associate Superintendent Gilbert Hicks recognized the flaws of focusing on a test. It's really painful for me to see someone think that a score that comes out of that day is the end-all, be-all for a student. It's, it's a number, and, it, and we have to accept it on that particular day, but there might be other variables. The state and federal government say kids have to take these tests. And if they bomb it, the school can face consequences. In Texas, a chronically underperforming school can mean the state takes over an entire district. So it's a tricky situation for school districts. Nobody wants to rely on a test score to tell us if a student is successful. But test scores are important for accountability. This is the environment in which Helwig developed his reading plan. It mattered how kids did on these tests. So this former engineer saw a problem and found a way to fix it, according to the measures we use. I brought up Helwig's methods with Superintendent Cruz and his staff. Gilbert Hicks said he didn't view it as a complete reading program, but did like one aspect. You would also go and see novel studies occurring where those strategies that were being learned are being applied in a a more holistic way. Cruz said he doesn't want AISD schools to just focus on strategies that provide academic success, but also life skills. I asked Hicks for a follow-up interview to specifically talk about replicating Helwig's strategies at other schools. He declined and said through a spokesperson that principals have autonomy to implement programs they want. Part 4. What now? The public controversy around Helwig's methods blew up at the end of last school year. Then, summer break happened and things calmed down. Until September. 
A group of adults stand on the sidewalk in front of the old Sims Elementary building in East Austin. Some lean against the chain link fence chatting, buses and cars whiz by on Springdale Road. This group is a collection of people who have long advocated for schools in East Austin, which are home to mainly poor students and students of color. They were holding a press conference. Then school board member Ted Gordon said this group had written what it was calling its manifesto, a list of 15 demands to AISD to better serve its low-income students and kids of color. This has been an issue for the school district for its entire, its entire existence, over, over 120 years. Right? So now we're in 2018, we've got to address these things or we've got to think about a different kind of school district. The coalition said if the district didn't lay out a plan for improving academics in Eastside schools, they might sue AISD. So now all eyes are on the district administration to see how they respond to the threat of a lawsuit. When I sat down with Superintendent Paul Cruz, he was vague on exactly what specific policies can close the achievement gap. One of his major goals is making sure every child is reading by third grade. The way to do that, he said, starts with teacher training. Every teacher would have training uh, on uh, the science behind reading. And so that's something that uh, it's, it's been in play uh, at some several schools and, and in several um, classrooms and teachers. But we want to make sure it's systemic. Starting this year, the district implemented a training for all first grade teachers. And they are hiring more advanced reading specialists. I asked Cruz how he would make that happen at all 83 elementary schools in the district. There are going to be some um, negotiables, uh, and then there are some non-negotiables. Our approach to literacy, that's going to be a non-negotiable. This is our approach. Right now, principals have a lot of autonomy over how they run their schools. It's how Helwig was able to create a new system of teaching and use it for almost a decade. Yeah, it's easy to say that we want all kids reading by third grade, um, and we all agree how important that is. Michael Coyne researches literacy at the University of Connecticut and says it's challenging to mandate a single blanket policy for 83 schools. Sometimes I think we underestimate the level of support that students need um, and the level of support that teachers need to be able to uh, approach that goal. If one kid struggles for a few weeks and a teacher or parent or tutor can't intervene fast enough, they could quickly start to fall behind. And before you know it, they're not reading on grade level. Multiply this situation by a couple dozen kids in one classroom, hundreds of kids in a neighborhood, and thousands across the city, it is easy to see how this problem exists. Coin says consistency is the key to helping a kid catch up on reading if they're behind. So you could have a school with multiple great teachers that are doing excellent reading instruction, but if they're all using different strategies, and that provides this experience for students as they're moving through grade that might not be consistent or what they need to kind of continue to build these skills across the grade. It's April, at the end of last school year, and the students at Overton Elementary gather in the school gym for an assembly. Star testing starts tomorrow, and the teachers want to pump the kids up. Overton resembles Graham Elementary when Helwig first got there. Kids in poverty, a lot of them learning English, educators working hard to improve their students' reading. It has mental health services on campus for families and academic clubs to motivate students to do well, all in an effort to make sure students don't fall behind. But a couple months later, when Overton gets its star scores, 
They're average, just like previous years. I spent a year investigating the achievement gap in Austin, visiting schools like Overton. Helwig's reading plan is one option that got test results, yet it's unpopular. Too many people think this kind of teaching celebrates the wrong thing, valuing testing over creativity. And in education, politics and public opinion matter. In the end, Austin is a good case study for why the achievement gap is so hard to close, why billions of dollars have been spent, dozens of studies done, and yet the problem remains. Our schools are set up as a patchwork, where principals have the freedom to create their own education environment. For now, the district is opting for training for teachers and more reading specialists. Will that be the answer? We'll see. You've been listening to Held Back, Why Austin Schools Aren't Working for Students of Color. This has been a production of KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station. Support for this project came from a grant from the Education Writers Association. It was reported and written by me, Claire McInerney, and edited by Stephanie Federico, Ryan Katz, and Matt Largy. We had reporting help from Sangeeta Menon. You can read more about this story, see photos of everyone we interviewed, and watch a video on the reading tactics we mentioned at heldback.kut.org. You can also get the story in podcast form at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.